content and upset and frustrated and cranky, quite honestly. Because when we as God's creatures get invested in other things at such a level that we crowd out God, we're not living out our design then. We're not living out our design. Now, I remember hearing this kind of talk whenever I was maybe a, an immature Christian or even not a believer and think, oh, what do you want me to do? Like be at church like 24-7 all day, all week, singing songs? Is that what you mean? That's not what I mean at all. I mean that your very life, everything that you do, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, we do all for the glory of God. Because God is that real. God is that personal in your life. God is that close that everything we do, everything we say, everything we are is to be an offering of worship to Him. I invite you to that kind of relationship with the Creator of the universe. This is not a religion. This is not something we gather together to do once a week, you know, on Sunday mornings. That's not what this is at all. Now, this gathering is a celebration because we all come together as a body of believers as people who know the Lord and can stand up and, and clap and shout, right? That we're followers of Christ. This is special. But God wants you. God wants you to come to Him in personal relationship. Open up your Bible to the book of Daniel. Help yourself out. Go to the table of contents if you need to. Okay, Find Daniel and turn to that page in your Bible. For me, I go to the middle of my Bible and turn right a little bit. Okay, I'll hit books like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and all those. Just go a little bit further to the right. When you get to Ezekiel, you're almost there. It's the very next book. If you get to a bunch of weird names you've never heard before, Habakkuk and this kind of stuff, you've gone a little too far. Okay, He's there at the front end of the Minor Prophets. Daniel is who we're talking about. And what we're going to see happen today is Daniel and many other people are going to encounter a problem. Going to encounter a problem. And in truth, we all encounter problems. We all encounter problems. Now, maybe not as bad as this guy, okay? You know, you look at a giraffe. Have you ever seen a giraffe drink? I mean, what a problem this is, okay? But you know, somehow they do overcome it. Spread their legs wide and dip way down there. It's kind of comical to watch. We all encounter problems in our life. You know, some of us have just everyday problems, Everyday problems. You know, you got to pay the bills, you got to get the kids to practice, and you know, you got to get to work on time. Just everyday issues. What are we having for dinner? That kind of stuff, right? There's everyday problems. And we all have those. Nobody's immune. We have life changing problems sometimes. Life changing problems. So this is an ongoing sickness, maybe an emergency in your life, marriage struggles. You know, financial difficulties that get really, really bad. You know, foreclosure maybe. And it's a life-changing problem. And trust me, we all encounter those too. Everyday problems. Life-changing problems. But what I want to talk about today is another level. Another level of a problem that comes into our lives. Thankfully, for most of us, these are rare. These are rare. But they're very real. We had everyday problems and we got life-changing problems, but once in a while we experience what I call a life-giving problem. A life-giving, 
Oh, it's not life challenging. It's life giving. And it's an opportunity that God, God uses in our life to bring us to a greater level of spiritual connection with God. These are the big things that come your way. And if we see them through the eyes of God, we recognize they're life-giving. They wake us up. They rattle the foundation of our life. They come into our lives and the things that we thought we were building on, okay, the things that we thought would hold the solid rock ground, we come to realize that it doesn't hold. It doesn't. And just in case you think I'm talking about people who don't know Christ and they have life-giving problems, you know, and now what are they going to do? I mean those people as well as everyone in this room. I don't care where you are for this particular thought. I don't care where you are in your relationship with God. You can be a person that's brand new in Christ, not even know the Lord yet, or you could have been walking with Jesus for 50, 60 years. But coming your way, very likely, are life-giving problems. Things come into our lives. They're out of our control. And it's an opportunity for us. It's an opportunity for us to look to God in a brand new way. To look to Him in a way and to experience the hope that God has for us. And listen, it doesn't just happen to you. It doesn't just happen to people who follow Christ. It doesn't just happen when we're at Centerpoint Bible Church. It happens to all the people that you work with. All the people you go to school with. All the people that you encounter. They're all walking through life and they're having everyday problems and they're having life-changing problems and they're having life-giving problems. And you're there. You're there as a witness for Jesus Christ. You are intentionally there. God has you strategically in their life now. So when the foundation rocks, you are there to bring hope. This is what God has for us. And it's so exciting. It makes you clap. It makes you shout. The reality is, and I think I have this for the screen for you, Daniel is an example of somebody who is, go ahead, help me out here, who is, there it is, okay. Daniel is hoping on God. Hoping on God in a world that doesn't. That's the reality, right? We, we need to be people who are hoping on God. Hope is not, oh, I really hope so. Hope is a confident expectation that God is in charge and that God is working. And that God is helping. God is helping. Open up your Bible, as I already said, to Daniel. Okay, Let's review where we've been. Daniel. You know, Daniel was, was there as a, as a young Jewish boy in a world about 600 years before Christ. And what happened is the world power of the day, the Babylonians came to town. And they, they just totally ransacked the whole Jewish community there in Palestine, there in Jerusalem. 
And they came, into the, they came in and they invaded and they conquered the Jewish people. And the way that, that they, what they, what they did, their practice was to do this. They would take some of the young people of this community that they were conquering. This was a repeated thing that the Babylonians did. They would come and they would conquer a land and they would take captive some of the young people of this community, of this, of this nation that they were capturing. They would take a, a handful, maybe a hundred or so of these people back with them to Babylonia. And they would take them there and they would, they would basically brainwash them. They would, they would attempt to press them into the form of the Babylonian culture. And they would overwhelm them with, with the thinking of the, of, the, of the Babylonians that was completely anti-God. And they're trying to press upon them the thumbprint, the thumbprint of Babylonia. And they would overload them with the, with the literature and with the thinking and with the, with the indulgent foods and drinks of the Babylonian culture. Now all that's well and fine, but that's not the real goal. That's not the real goal. The real goal was to impress upon them the false gods of that culture. The false gods of that whole community. And there's Daniel. Very likely around 15 years of age. To put that in perspective, that's like a freshman in high school. Remember those days? Picked up, ripped away from his home, ripped away from the safety of that environment he was in, and placed in the midst of Babylonia. It was an identity crisis. We talked about this last week. I'll put that on the screen for you. One of the first things they did is they went to these young men. Okay, four. There were, there were more than four, but the, the book of Daniel highlights four of these young men. Daniel, and I, Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And their names had meaning. If you think about it, let's just, say, let's, just, let's just make a statement about some of these. Daniel's name was God is my judge. Now that sounds a little negative, doesn't it? You know, God, or arr, 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 beat the gavel, oh, no, I don't like you. That sound, that's what that sounds like. But that's not the idea of a judge in the Hebrew mind. What, probably a better way for us to translate that would be God is my leader. God is my leader. The book of Judges is about the leaders that God raised up. And here's Daniel. His parents named him this. In the providence of God, he's given a name that will go with him the rest of his life to remind him of this truth. God is my judge. And next to him was Hananiah. His name means the Lord shows grace. The Lord shows grace. Think about this. I was reading a book about the book of Daniel this week and the author pointed out those two names from the world's perspective almost violate one another. Like they bump into each other. God is my judge and the Lord is gracious. It feels like they're colliding, contradicting. Not so at all. Not so at all. God offers us His leadership and then brings His grace to us so we can follow Him. Continuing down their names, who is like God? Who is like God? This one that is close and is all-powerful. And finally, the Lord helps Azariah. 
the Lord helps. One of the early things that was done was their names were changed, but their identity did not. Their names were changed, but their identity did not. And I want to call you, believer in Christ, to live out your identity. Know who you are in Jesus. Wherever you're going this week, we got a lot of students going to school. we got a lot of teachers in the room. A lot of people that are involved in the school system one way or another. And you're heading out this week. Listen, you go with your identity right there firmly in your mind. God has you strategically where you are on purpose. No, no, no. It's not an accident. You didn't get lucky. This isn't the place where your parents are making you go to school. None of that's true. You are strategically where you are. This is the character of our God who's overseeing all things sovereign over the details of our life. And listen, if if God can use Daniel in the middle of that Babylonian culture, which is is anti-God as we can ever imagine, and he used Daniel to influence these people, God can use you. God can use you. Our identity, though, it matters. Well, we come in Daniel 2 and there's a problem, okay? There's many people with problems. And it's just like I said, you know, the world around us experiences problems. And, and the question is, what do people do when problems arise? You guys know Humpty Dumpty, right? Yeah, there he is, okay? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together Again, can you quote the second verse? Me neither, because there isn't one. That's it, okay? That's it. But you know, it represents a great picture for us to move into this Daniel passage. The world experiences problems. And by world, I mean people. People experience problems. And they, are, they can be life-giving because the things that they try to rebuild their world with, they can't put Humpty together back again. It won't work. And so they look around, searching for those who have hope. And I want it to be us. I want it to be us. God wants it to be us who has hope. When the egg is busted apart, we have hope that God can put together. Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, recognize already, we're in the year two of Nebuchadnezzar. There's some debate as to when this is. Is this the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign? Because if it is, Daniel's still in his three-year training. Remember, Daniel was taken away, and for three years they would train him in the way of the Chaldeans, in the way of the Babylonians. And so this potentially is year two of Daniel's sort of indoctrination. Or... Or, Daniel's indoctrination ended at the end of chapter 1 and it's two years later. We don't really know. So it's either year 2 that Daniel's been in Babylon or year 5. But let me tell you, that don't make a whole lot of difference. I've met 17-year-olds and I've met 20-year-olds and they're not much different. Am I right? They're not much different. So that's who we have here. Okay, Daniel is there and and he's in Babylonia and Nebuchadnezzar has a problem. He has a a huge problem. Let's read about it. He had dreams. His spirit was troubled. 
and his sleep left him. This man, a powerful man now. He is a powerful man. And we're going to see several powerful men in this passage, and they've got one problem. Powerful men with one problem over and over and over again. And in reality, there's one God. That's what I want you to see. Powerful men with one problem, but there's only one God. Let's see what his problem is. His spirit is troubled. He had a dream. He had a dream. And it must have been a pretty upsetting dream. As we read the rest of the chapters, we see what happens here. He can't remember the dream. He knows he woke up in fear. He's very, his anxiety is very, very high. And he knows that this dream is significant, but he can't really understand what it means. Now let's talk about dreams for just a minute. It's often in the Bible that God does communicate through dreams. It happens a lot in the Bible. Let me, let me talk to you about some of it, okay? In Numbers 12, it mentions, in Numbers chapter 12, it mentions that the prophets were spoken to through visions and dreams. Genesis 28, Jacob is spoken to by a dream, through a dream that is. Genesis 37, Joseph in a dream. Genesis 41, Pharaoh with a dream. Judges 7, Gideon with a dream. 1 Kings 3, Solomon with a dream. Lots of dreams going on. God communicating to people with dreams. But what about today? Now, it's not the real point of this passage, but I felt like I needed to address it. Does God speak to us through dreams? It's a good question. Hebrews chapter 1 addresses this. Hebrews chapter 1. You can turn here if you want to. Verses 1 and 2. It says that in the past, God spoke to us through all different means. Through various different means, God has spoken to us. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 is where I'm at. But the verse number 2 says this. But now, He has spoken to us in these last days by His Son. You see, in former days, God did speak through dreams. But today, God speaks through His Word. God speaks through His Word. Now, I know some of you have really cool dreams, and you'd like them to be from God, right? You know that one where you like won a brand new red Corvette? Wouldn't that be cool? You know, or you know you won the, the Super Bowl with a long pass, you know? You'd like that dream to be true, right? Let me show you one other verse. I'm, I'm going to take the time to turn this one too because it's so important. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's take a minute and look at this. I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. What happens here, Peter is the author. Okay, Peter is the author. And I want you to notice what he's talking about here in verse number 17. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. For when He, and He here is Jesus Christ, when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to Him from the majestic glory, this is My beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. When did that happen? Anybody know? Say it. The baptism of Jesus. Voice from heaven, this is my son, I am well pleased. Okay? What a moment that was. People said that had to have been thunder. It had to be, you know, some big thing. I heard this voice, and it just can't be. 
I mean, what, what a supernatural event that was, right? I mean, you talk about divine intervention. God spoke. There's no doubt. But I want you to notice what Peter says. Verse 18, We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with Him on the holy mountain. So I heard it, Peter's saying. I was there, I heard His voice. But verse 19 is so important for you today. It is so important for you, dream watcher. It is so important for you that are desiring to hear from God. Verse 19, you've got to hear it. Look what it says. And we have the prophetic word more fully conformed. I'm sorry, confirmed. More fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And in case you don't know what he's talking about, look at verse number 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. What is the point? What is the point that I'm diverting to that I want us to understand? We're going to see a story, an account, where a dream was a big deal. It's a huge, and you, you're going to read this, you're going to think, man, I, I, I wish God would speak to me like that. That'd be awesome if God would come and like, give me this dream and, and tell me what the future holds. Why, then I would follow Him. Really? We have the Word of God. We have Peter, who heard the the very voice of God, the very Word of God, standing seeing the very person of God. And he says, hey, this, more fully confirmed. Folks, we have God's Word. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And it moved him. But you have God's Word. Does it move you? Does it move you? Let's go back now to Daniel. Okay, go ahead and take the time and find it. Okay, go back to Daniel. Not only did Nebuchadnezzar, a powerful man, have problems, but so did, we'll call them the Chaldeans, all around him. Let's see what their problem is, okay? Daniel chapter 2, we saw that he has this dream. And the king said to his, these people, these magicians, these enchanters, these sorcerers, these Chaldeans, he summoned them together and he said, I had a dream in verse 3. And my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. Now the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. You hear what he said? He says, hey, my advisors, my trusted advisors, the astrologers, the enchanters, the the sorcerers, You guys who are in connection with the supernatural, you've been telling me for at least two, maybe five years that you're connecting with the gods. You're speaking to me from the gods. Okay, God's speaking to you. The gods are speaking to you. You've been telling me that for five years. Tell me my dream 
And they all went, oh, man, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Let me tell you how the Babylonians, let me, let, me, let me tell you what they did, what these Chaldeans did. They had, and we, we have some of, we have examples of these today. Archaeologists have found this. They have what they call dream books. And this is what it was. They would, they would re, when they would see the events of history, they would record, let's start here, they would record the dreams of important people. So I imagine the king wakes up and he says, come here, let me tell you all about my dream. This morning I was walking down the hallway and I didn't have any clothes on but a towel. And I didn't know what was going on. You know how those dreams are, right? And there's a writing them down. And then what would happen is they would see the events that happened afterwards and they would draw these lines between the events of the dream and history. And they would write that down and act as if this is a, just a systematized way of us telling you what dreams meant. So the way it would work is you would say to the enchanter, to the sorcerer, to the astrologer, I had a dream. And in my dream, my hair was sticking straight up in the air, and it was green. And it would go to the books. Green hair. Okay, green hair. Jello. He must like jello. They would come to some conclusion. And I was walking down a hallway. Mm, hallway, hallway, hallway. Something scary. Okay, keep going. And jumped out at me was a monster. Oh, da, da, da. Monster. Oh, what did he look like? And they would go through this whole process to try to interpret the dream. In reality, it's a sham. And everybody knows it, including Nebuchadnezzar and including the Chaldeans. Their bluff is being called. And they got a problem. Notice what they said in verse 7. They say, verse 6, if you show the dream and its interpretation, this is from Nebuchadnezzar, then you're going to be blessed. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we shall interpret it. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time. He's got him figured out. He's a little cynical. Okay? I know you're just trying to delay matters. Because you see that the word is firm. If you don't make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak a lot. Now hear this words. Hear this words. And ask yourself, who do you listen to? Where do you find your counsel? Listen to the words of Nebuchadnezzar. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know and you can show me its interpretation. And they said this, there is not a man, verse number 10, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or any enchanter or any Chaldean. The king, the thing that the king asks is difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For the first time, they finally said something accurate. They finally have said something worth hearing. What you're asking for is impossible. This cannot be done. Only a god can do this. Now, my first point I'm trying to make is we've got to recognize people, powerful people, people who have everything together, listen, 
they have problems and troubles come their way. One, all men have a problem. And the problem is we are finite. We fall short. We don't measure up. All powerful men, all powerful women, all people have this problem. And you are strategically there, interspersed between all of these people. And we know God. I wonder how a God follower responds. Let's read on and find out. We're going to see the third powerful man. His name is Daniel. He's going to have a problem. He's going to have a problem. Let's see how he handles it. Verse 12. Now the king's angry. Actually, he's very furious. He is murderous. They're going to die. I mean, here's the thing. This culture, much like ours, does not value human life. Everybody is disposable. So he says, I'll just kill you all. I'll kill every single one of you. I'll kill all the Chaldeans. I'll kill all the magicians. I'll kill all the sorcerers. I'll kill all of these people. Now you need to understand, part of that group of people is Daniel. And Azariah, Mishael, that, that's them. He has been trained in these arts. He, they are part of this group of people that are going to die. And it continues to proceed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied, with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, the executioner who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. The, the language here seems to indicate that it's already happening. There's already blood in the streets. He's been killing people. And now it comes to Daniel's door, and Daniel and his three friends are going to die. So Daniel, in a very tactful way, says to Arioch, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? I love the way that Daniel handles this. He's been told he's going to die. I have every reason to believe he hears the screaming in the streets. And he's very calm. He's very cool. He's very composed. And he speaks with tact. He speaks with discretion and wisdom. Wisdom means he understands the scenario. And discretion means he understands the people. There's a confidence in this man. He's not afraid to die. They cannot take his life. They can't kill him. He has eternal life. He knows it. He's going to write about it in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He will demonstrate this kind of confidence as he walks calmly into the lion's den. His three friends will show this very confidence when the Chaldeans later, because so some of them still live, can, they come together to bring their demise and they walk his three friends into a burning furnace. But yet they remain calm, full of tact. 
In verse 17 and 18, notice what happens. Daniel goes to his house, and now he calls together Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, his friends, his band of brothers now. He calls them together, and he says this, and he tells them to seek mercy from the God of heaven. That just means let's pray together. We need to pray. We need to pray, guys. We got to come together here because there's there is something that's been asked of us that no man can do. The Chaldeans were right. This thing cannot happen. Nobody can tell the king he's out of his mind. Nobody can tell him what he dreamed. That's impossible, fellas. We got to come together. I see here something that just really calls to my heart. The advantage of believers. Binding together. Coming together. Not in a forced way. But you and you, you text one another, you email one another, you call one another. You say, I see you're discouraged. I see you got on your life. Let me meet you for breakfast. Let's get together. Let's pray together. That's what's happening with Daniel and his three friends. They have come together now because they need one another. Pity the person who falls down and has nobody to help him up. I pity that person. Not just me, Solomon pities him too. You read about it in Ecclesiastes. A, strand, a cord of three strands is not easily broken, he says. You need people in your life. You do. Yeah, you. I know you think you're the exception. Everybody always thinks they're the exception. There are no exceptions. Sorry. There are no exceptions. You're great, okay, you're wonderful, but you're not unique. You need other people too. Don't lie to yourself. Daniel needed his friends. I can't tell you how many times somebody has shared with me. They're like, Pastor Lowe, we've made such and such decision. We're moving, or we're you know, selling our house, or we're you know, flying to wherever and going to be a missionary. I don't know. And I say to them, have you been talking to other people about this? Have you shared this? Oh, have, have we talked about this? I'll say. No. Have you, have you shared with other believing friends have you asked them to pray for you? Have you interacted with them about it? No. And I, I mean, I often don't say it, but I'm just like, wow. Why would you live alone? Why? Here's a call for you. You're facing a problem? You're facing a challenge? I don't necessarily mean the everyday problems, although they can be pretty heavy, right? Getting the kids to school and being on, being on time and getting dinner, I know. But you're facing a problem. Will you reach out to one another? Text somebody. Pray for me. I've got a struggle. I need you to pray for me. Now, a lot of people, they'll text the pastor, and that's fine. But we need one another. We need one another to encourage one another, to challenge one another, to pray for one another. 
Daniel needed it. And watch what happens. Daniel had a problem. I want you to see where he goes. So they pray, and verse 19, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and then he just broke out in a psalm. And this is what it says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with Him. Once you look at those two verses, look at the pronouns. Pronoun would be like she, I, you. Notice how Daniel responds to God in the first two verses. He, he, he. But in verse 23, there's a change. and I love this. Now he says, To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. And so Daniel goes to Ariot, goes to the executioner, says, stop! Stop! I've got it. God has revealed. So what happens when problems come your way? We'll see the rest of the story later. But I want to stop here. I want to stop here and ask. Is there a hope that is in you? Go to my last slide for me, Josh. Is there a hope that is in you? You could turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Great New Testament letter. 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter is written, the, the book of Peter, of 1 Peter, is written to believers who are under intense persecution. Peter himself will die as a martyr for Christ. As Nero sets out to stomp out Christianity, Peter will die, very likely, shortly after this letter was written. After the letter of 1 and 2 Peter was written, Peter died for Christ. And not just him. There were many people, many believers in Christ in Rome who were dying simply because they were followers of Jesus. And Peter is trying to encourage them. He's trying to help them to press on in their relationship with Christ. And I want you to see what he says to these people who are experiencing the ultimate problems. Their very life. And look what he says there in verse number 15. He says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Set apart Jesus Christ as Lord, another translation says. In other words, you need to recognize, no matter who's in charge, no matter what king is on the throne, no matter who the president is, no matter who your boss is, no matter who the authorities are in your life, Christ is King. 
Listen, we don't need... The, 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 the answer to our problems is not going to come in the White House. It's not coming from Pennsylvania Avenue. That's not what we're looking for, folks, as believers in Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is coming to set up His kingdom here on earth. And for now, we are here as His witnesses, as His ambassadors, living here as aliens and strangers on this planet. But we set Him apart as Christ, in our, as Lord in our hearts. Set Him apart as Lord. God, You are my Lord, not Him, not her, not them. You are mine. And what that does is that creates in us a Daniel kind of hope. A hope on God when the world doesn't. Look what it says. Peter says, And your hearts honor Christ as Lord, always being prepared. Always. Not a church. Not when you've got some other believing friend next to you, so now you can borrow his courage. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. You see, foundations get shook. It's going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar. His very foundation, which quite honestly is Him, will be shook. It happened to the Chaldeans. Their foundation was the sham of supernatural touch that they supposedly had. And it was all a lie. And now it's shaking. And it happened to Daniel. His foundation shook. But it held. Because Jesus Christ is the rock. Psalm 118, verse number 22. He is the rock that was rejected by many. But He is the rock. The cornerstone, Peter says, you can build upon Him. Problems come. Powerful people have problems. But there's only one God. And He proved His love. He showed His love to us to the point that He was willing to lay down His life for us. To the point that He was willing to send His Spirit Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to you and dwells you if you're in Christ. And so when the earth shakes and when the problems arise, we can cry out, Abba, Father! Daddy, Father! And He hears us. And He restores our hope. Look to Him and lean on Him. Let's talk to Him. Father in Heaven, Lord, I thank You that You are the rock and that there is no other. 
So Lord, we honor You as Lord today and holy in our life. God, put a hope in us. Through Your Spirit, put a hope in us. We know that You have purchased us, Lord. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't spoil. It doesn't fade. It doesn't perish. Our hope is secure. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.